0: Welcome to the Exponential Minds Podcast. The research, development, launch, and growth of new technologies is creating incredible momentum in the modern world. Join futurist Nicholas Badminton as he talks with the innovators in the Exponential Minds that are tackling some of the biggest problems and creating solutions that are propelling humanity to the next level. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Exponential Minds podcast. My name is Nicholas Badminton. I'm a futurist. I travel around the world chatting to organizations and governments about the next 5, 10, 20 years and how we can use those horizons to inform our, our strengthened strategic practices today and how we can anticipate risk. And today on the podcast, I'm incredibly excited to be chatting to Carol Ann Hilton. Uh, she's the CEO and founder of the Indigenomics Institute and Global Center of Indigenomics out in Victoria, in British Columbia. Carol Ann is a dynamic national Indigenous business leader and senior advisor with an international master's degree in business management from the University of Hertfordshire over in England. Carol Ann is of New Char North descent from the Hesquiat Nation on Vancouver Island. And she served on the BC Emerging Economy, the the BC Indigenous Business and Investment Council, and was the only Indigenous person appointed to the Canadian Economic Growth Council. Uh, she currently serves as the director on the McGill University Institute for the Study of Canada, the BC Digital Supercluster, and her work has been recognised w- um, with the BC Achievement Foundation's Award of Distinction in Indigenous Business, the National Excellence in Aboriginal Relations Award from the Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business. Carol Anne, and we're going to get into this, has led the establishment of a line of thought called Indigenomics. Sometimes uh, with the hashtag, uh, hashtag Indigenomics, growing for a single word to entire movement, which focuses on the rebuilding and strengthening of indigenous economies. She's also the author of Indigenomics, taking a seat at the economic table and is an adjunct professor at Royal Roads University School of Business. Carol Ann, that's really impressive. And I'm really excited to have you on the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you. That's great. So as we as we normally do on the Exponential Minds podcast, I always like to really get to know the guests that we have on board and the, uh, the listeners do as well. Can you tell me a little bit about your journey uh, to, to where you are today and how you came to form the Indigenomics Institute? Uh, for
1: sure. Thank you. Um, uh, from the I very much um, aligned with um, what I call the center of my universe is um, my home territory of Hesquiat, which um, on the west coast of Vancouver Island, up past the Tofino area, um, is where my roots and my bloodline uh, comes from. And it's within a Heshkoia worldview that I center uh, my work, my inspiration, and peer out from within a worldview that has been shaped over thousands of years and while there was significant disruption to our reality um, with the um, oncoming economy the isolation within the residential school systems and the fragmentation of families it is from that disruption as well that inspires and um, shapes my work to believe in a positive uh, and prosperous future Indigenous reality and my work in a achieving a international MBA also shaped my perspective of understanding the role of business within our communities and what is important to um, frame our world view in economy, which then has allowed me very much to be able to um, create the concept of indigenomics from that. Thank you
0: yeah and, and this is this is super interesting to me because you know understanding that the thousands and thousands of years of history uh here here in Canada and understanding that 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 the disruption is very real is that that the the way of life um the traditions the culture uh it's not just uh turning up and suddenly there's you know here's a city uh here's here's an infrastructure and whatever there's been there's there was a lot of work um, like and and nefarious work put in place to to isolate these communities and these minds. So stepping forward into in, into these discussions is incredibly vibrant and, and important today. But w- what what I'd love to know is um, within within the uh, the your your worldview, the Hesquiat worldview. You know fr- from from the past to where we are today. You know what what lessons um, can can we can we apply and how does Indigenomics work uh, to to sort of strengthen um, not only the Heskia and, and and the First Nations community in Canada but but the the community and the economic shape of Canada as a whole with that influence
1: yeah for sure I think th- I like this concept of the timeline of money itself so our uh, experience with the current system of money while we have traditional potlatch systems that are tens of thousands of years old, money on our timeline as a people is relatively new and I think the place for leadership and excelling of utilizing money as a tool is something that I'm interested in uh, from an Indigenous perspective that while we, we inherently have a distinct Indigenous worldview around prosperity and wealth and abundance that is ecologically connected, what I really think is important is that bringing that concept of abundance as a state of being um, into how we build, shape, and form our economies today is really an opportunity that we are able to um, facilitate meaning and strategic economic design in a specific way. So I've built the concept of Indigenomics um, essentially as centering Canada's reality of a system of Indigenous economic exclusion and building a future of Indigenous economic inclusion. So realizing and calling on our leadership today Um, of where we are in that of still participating in systems of design of economic exclusion or building pathways and partnerships for Indigenous economic inclusion. That's some of my kind of initial thinking around Indigenomics and its role within economy. I describe Indigenomics as economics from an Indigenous worldview. And I think that the realization that um, the polarization and that experience and the perception of viewing indigenous peoples as a problem has carried across time into our now and that it brings its own bias of how we see the indigenous population but constructive generative economic design is really the opportunity um, to locate our leadership right now.
0: It, it's really interesting as well thinking of that you know systems of inclusion and uh, you know and, and very clearly understanding that polarization of attitudes. it, it reminds me I was I was at a conference about three years ago and it was in Toronto. Uh, it, it was in, it was with the Institute of Public administration in Canada and I was stood on stage uh, in a panel and we're talking about innovation, research and development all the good stuff that we do in, in, in modern society to, to push the world forward. And I talked about innovation and how important it was to, to, to listen to you know, the full breadth of everyone in our community, including children and including elders. And I asked the question of the crowd, it was about 300 people. And I said, right, who in this crowd brings children into the boardroom or into design sessions? And one woman put her hand up at the front, uh, no one else. And I was like, that's, that's pretty amazing, okay. Um slightly confused by the one hand. I was expecting no one to put the hand up. And then I said, okay, how many people bring the, bring, you know, older people in your community, you know, your parents, grandparents, you know, the, those people, the, the worldly wise, into these design sessions, into the boardrooms. Again, the same woman put her hand up. And I was like, "Like, can you just tell us a little bit about what you do? She goes, I work exclusively with, with First Nations uh, across Canada. Uh, around uh, building equitable systems, and we include everyone in this. So, I- inclusion to me at that point was like, oh, this isn't, this isn't, uh, it, yes, there's, there's the inclusion of First Nations in the wider Canadian economy, but there's also the lessons in Indigenous cultures of inclusion of everyone within that community as well. So, I'd love to know, you know, thoughts around that, but also. You know, what advice have you got for people out there that are truly trying to include everyone at the table when it comes to design, innovation, you know, economic planning and such like?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I recently wrote a book called Indigenomics, Taking a Seat at the Economic Table, and in it I describe a toolbox of building understanding of the Indigenous context, specifically here in Canada. I also draw on key comparisons of the distinction of Indigenous worldview and a mainstream worldview. And oftentimes when I'm uh, doing public speaking, I will ask the audience to take a look around them at this moment that they're in and often um, describing that the built environment reflected back to them is often built from one worldview. So when we're able to see the singularity of a worldview of the built environment, what becomes important in even the concept of taking a seat at the economic table, the experience of the disinvitation of Indigenous populations across time to the economic table of this country. We cannot keep measuring the socioeconomic gap, we need to start measuring Indigenous economic inclusion, we need to start measuring Indigenous economic outcomes and strengths. And I would really encourage um, people to look at who's sitting at the tables with you. You know, you really getting to that level of honesty of if everybody looks like you, you may want to consider expanding that circle or making more room at your table. Um, This idea of decision-making, power, money, I think has become so normal that That question now is really who is sitting at our table and what invitations can we make to be more inclusive? Um, It starts with worldview and and realizing um, the space that mainstream worldview has taken up within our reality. For example, um, we are told around economic growth. Um, We're told really that that's a singular approach is a high growth trajectory when in reality the alternatives to uh, our behavior it's not externalized but our behavior is local so coming back to strengthening our relationships strengthening our conversations strengthening um, our education and understanding those are all really good starting points to begin from
0: This, this also, uh, this, this makes me think, uh, I just pulled up an article in front of me, uh, in New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern, she appointed um, the first Indigenous female foreign minister over there, so Ninaya Mahuta is, is the um uh, is is she's like the first foreign minister there and and it seems sensible to me that in canada there should be more you know indigenous peoples involved in government i mean what is what is that what does that picture look like today and and do you do you think that we're we're far from where it should be
1: that's a great question and i really appreciated the prime minister of new zealand um A a simple sentence is that the face of New Zealand um, should be Maori because that is, in essence, of who we are. And I think that is a huge um, demonstration of um, inclusion in that itself. We're here in Canada. I mean, we saw all the pieces fall apart in that indigenous relationship that was easily demonstrable uh, last year in the political environment that was highly visible with Jody wilson Rebold. Right. Uh, moving from a super high uh, position of influence as the justice minister and then addressing um, a political system in a very public way. And I think that, there would be natural fallout where even young indigenous women to see um, another indigenous woman in a a place of influence, and then um, to not really have the full support to have her voice or whatever that larger situation is. But I think that um, that in itself cause could potentially cause um, younger um, indigenous people to not feel necessarily safe within the Canadian system itself, and that is a uncomfortable place to be in and to facilitate our relationship with the indigenous population um, i again i 'll draw your attention i I introduced this concept that Canada is in a legal relationship and an economic relationship, and there's been too much emphasis um, on the legal relationship over time. That what has been inherited has been this perception of the Indian problem, and that is reflected in our um, design relationships with Indigenous people today. There's one specific example where the fallout between A political mandate at a national level that says from the directly from the prime minister our most important relationship is with indigenous peoples and then we get to that legal relationship particularly here in british columbia where we have the united nations declaration of the rights of indigenous people currently being implemented into law and we see a tiny nation like the Chatlet on Vancouver Island who are establishing a title case. And what becomes important is that when you see the legal case being demonstrated from the province or from Canada, and we have lawyers saying um, the Indigenous, that Neuchatlet nation abandoned their territory as an actual legal argument, it doesn't stand for what is the actual empowered environment of the implementation of UNDRIP or indigenous peoples being the most important relationship in Canada with such weak legal arguments. However, for a nation like that to win has direct, to win title has direct economic implications. So I think there's this push pull relationship happening more so within this indigenous relationship here. And that's really what my work around indigenomics has been is inviting Canadians into this new narrative that indigenous peoples are economic powerhouses and that we can make new decisions, having the information that supports that and also facilitating business partnerships um, and economic relationships that also reflect that.
0: And, and this being economic powerhouses, uh, you know, reaches beyond what, what many actually feel, you know, I, I've got friends, First Nations artists, I, I do people that are in the creative arts within those community cultural support, uh, but it goes beyond that into into the wild wider world, the, industri- the industrial complex that we find ourselves in, you know, we, we've got people building businesses and, and, and nations building businesses. Indigenous peoples at the center of them and, and being strong leaders and shaping many, many parts of Canada as well. So, I mean, how, how do you how do you engage with with younger people and educate them and empower them and put them on sort of a, a roadmap towards, you know, pushing for that inclusion and that empowerment? You know, and how, how do you you know come the other way as well by, you know, top down from, from government pushing back down so that at some point? They meet in the middle. Is, is there a perfect world that we're heading towards, do you think?
1: I, th- I like this concept of youth seeing themselves in their own future. Oftentimes I'll work into a nation and there's high unemployment rates um, and the messaging is very much around when check day is. There's a culture of poverty um, that um, forms the basis of messaging. It's not until um, a nation is able to really create its own revenue from its territory that those opportunities come to light. So jobs and education and partnerships, starting businesses, it's when their youth are able to see themselves in their own future, that's really the connection of being able to facilitate a stronger pathway for the future of Indigenous youth.
0: Yeah, uh, and 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 that youth. I mean, who are the heroes for the youth? I mean, would know, ultimately, you know, who do, who do you bring to the table uh, as as business leadership, and also from a historical, you know, context as well? Who who are the heroes from from you know the the, the thousands of years that have gone before as well? I mean, you know, how do, how does that play into things? Um, it's
1: often a perspective of seeing um, this reality of our current um, situation of an in Indigenous perspective of um, walking on the giants of the, sho- the shoulders of the giants who came before us and The really, you know, the heroes of our times are the ones that have allowed another possibility of a positive future. We just look. um, We the nationally, we just lost uh, Mr. Saskamoose, the first Indigenous NHL player. That was a huge loss nationally of an entire population that held him up in such high regard for the courage to come out of residential school and play um, hockey in tough times of you know places of high racism and the really true lack of acceptance. We look at um, other examples like in Canadian political reality um, one of those giants is Elijah Harper, you know, who had the courage and shifted the entire trajectory of Canada based on his singular decision holding an eagle feather. Um, we look at some of the people that um, shaped the legal environment, uh, Gujao out of Haida Gwaii on the west coast of Vancouver Island. Um, who pushed the Haida case that now pushed an entire new reality of um, indigenous consultation, consent, um, and new ways of the legal requirement of having to engage with indigenous populations. Um, We look at other people like Juanique Horn-Miller who was one of the first indigenous peoples to uh, play competitively Uh, in the water polo sport in the Olympics. While she had been speared um, within the uh, Oka crisis, she actually had a spear like thrown through her and still played for Canada. But the realization of these types of leaders that allow a possibility to live life outside of trauma to live life, um, building a new story of success of personal success and allowing our communities insight into that success and being able to shape um, our personal response to now.
0: Uh, it, it's fascinating to, to hear the examples of, of the people out there. I mean, they, these are people at the top, whether it's of sport or or, art or whatever. But um, I'm just, just wondering as well, um, with the Indigenomics Institute, what, what have you got happening right now that, that's sort of laying the foundation for sort of opening doors and, and creating these discussions and creating this inclusion?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Actually on Monday I have an Indigenomics by Design national virtual forum um, and it's looking at building the narrative of Indigenous economic empowerment and and an invitation into our collective economic response to now. So we have um, right from senior government people, foundations, uh, the financial sector, um, CEOs of banks, uh, ecdev corporations, this really amazing mix of people engaging in the future possibility of a hundred billion dollar indigenous economy. My personal work um, is establishing that target of that $100 billion national Indigenous economy is not only possible, but essential for Canada's future. And this realization that building our partnerships, increasing the quality of our conversations and relationships um, in this idea of building our economic response to now, That's largely my work within the Indigenomics Institute. And over this next year, we're also looking at um, uh, building the global indigenous economic space in new innovative ways. And part of that is addressing this global economic crisis that stems from its own worldview. So what is important to me is to really bring visibility to the significance and importance of an indigenous worldview and its relevance in humanity's modernity.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, I'd, I'd like to sort of push our thinking into the future a little bit like this is. To, to me this is a hugely essential conversation we're having today and i'm i'm listening i'm listening because it's you know there there's so much that i'm learning here you know when when i look out and i look out you know 20 30 years into the future i mean i i like to sort of ask you know does what, what does 2050 look like to you what what's a perfect what's a perfect situation with empowerment inclusion uh across canada what what does that look like you know beyond you know the number of 100 billion dollars of the indigenous economy, um, you know, what does that look like in terms of it, its framework and its structure?
1: Um, I introduced this concept of future pacing. So essentially, my work of building indigenomics as a platform, the concept of future pacing is building a conscious awareness of the importance of the Indigenous relationship in Canada and it's also facilitating um, economic leadership for constructive generative economic design. So the achievement of the 100 billion I firmly believe is possible in the next couple years and I actually think we're also closer to that than we think. but building on this concept of future pacing again what is important to me is that the building and development of indigenous wealth or the achievement of 100 billion isn't about growth but it's the ability to connect our own revenue to our ability to um, really facilitate places of empowerment, so whether that's with our elders, with our youth, with our language um, and culture, the purpose and intention of economic growth has to be aligned with Indigenous worldview, and that's really what I'm interested in exploring is that there's so much negative perceptions of Indigenous poverty, but not any truth building on the structures of that um, experience or cause of poverty itself. So my work is really about undoing this concept of the experience of what I call Indian Act economics, that there's economics for the rest of Canada, and then there's economics for the Indigenous population. And when we realize the fundamentals building blocks of that, that's what I see as a future possibility, is that those limitations and challenges we experience are systematic, and that to look at 2050 as a future, essentially means a clear pathway to the capitalization of our Indigenous businesses at the same level of growth that we are actually experiencing. So right now in 2020, going into 2021, the level of business growth exceeds the capital available. And while in any that could be experienced as positive, what it actually is experienced now for communities, is this kind of bottleneck approach of private um, or commercial um, debt, where we need to be able to design a future based on this concept of economic freedom. So I position this idea of dependency and freedom as opposites of each other. So what is important to me in building and designing and facilitating towards um, a positive future is are we moving away from those structures of dependency or are we creating and building pathways towards economic freedom
0: and it's it's quite interesting because because this is an affront to the the very nature of you know, monetary lending for, you know, funding businesses and whatever, It, it it's the, the reduction of freedom, <laughs> you know, uh, you, know the, the, you know, the cap table comes in and people own parts of the business and decisions can only be made when, you know, certain, certain numbers of owners are involved, you know, the shareholder has more power than the people that the companies serve as well. So, what, what you're suggesting is, is, a, is a fundamental you know, a reconsideration and a rethinking and a restructuring of how this works. And that economic freedom, like for me, and this is what's really interesting, it, it transcends beyond indigenomics and, and economics within the indigenous community into something that's just really good common sense for the world as a whole, right? And maybe we, we, we've forgotten you know that 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 is a really important part of the conversation about having you know the in, indigenous peoples at the table in the organizations and running the organizations being in government and making this all work correct
1: right? yeah for sure i was out in this little community out in the okanagan in british columbia and the community is quite well known for um just the, degree of uh, businesses that they have and that they have to hire outside of the community um, into the larger region to access the workforce. And I met these young ladies from within the nation uh, in Osoyos and they were working at the local uh, cultural center. Mm. And it was interesting because as they gave tours that described their history, they also relayed how this job that they were currently in connected to their education and what type of job they wanted within their community as they um, came out of their own education uh, process. And it, I think that's really the type of positive that we're wanting to see is that, that access to opportunities Um, our jobs are connected to our education, which allows and shapes and forms those opportunities. And a lot of times that's what's missing in our communities is seeing those opportunities or seeing a future um, where business is a positive experience and supports the foundation of the community and its identity itself.
0: It's really important, you know, seeing that future, that vision, that foresight, that that idea, that you know, the clear pathways of capitalization for indigenous businesses, but really connecting that back to, you know, personal stories and, and history of nations as well. So, so I mean, Caroline, what 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 should people be reading and watching, you know, uh, at the end of this conversation? Like, what, you know, if someone someone listens to this conversation and is inspired and needs to needs to learn more, you know, where can they learn a little bit more about indigenomics and is there a wider reading and and watching that should be done
1: uh yes absolutely um there's two avenues i think one i will shamelessly promote my own book uh which will be coming out in march it just got pushed back i don't think it wanted to be published in 2020 honestly Um, (laughs) i don't blame it So yeah, we're gonna be having the book launch in March and that's currently available for pre-order, but that's a really positive um, narrative within that of understanding the Canadian relationship and this emerging Indigenous economic space. The second, also, if anyone knows who Murray Sinclair is, he's a senator, but he was also the head of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Um, which listened and recorded the stories of thousands and thousands of Indigenous uh, residential school survivors and came out with Um, systemic changes and calls to action to strengthen that Indigenous relationship so I understand that he's also just come out with a new book and I I don't actually know the name of the book but he's a very well-known figure and I'm definitely looking forward to what he has to say about the Indigenous relationship right now so those are two aspects that I would point to um, at the moment thank you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I, I, I might, I might invite you to, to send me a, f- a few links of things that I should should include in this descri- description. I mean, I think that this is probably the first of many discussions that we're going to have, I, and I'm uh, I'm hugely grateful for your time. Thank you so much, and uh, yeah, I look forward to speaking to you again soon, and uh, I look forward very much to uh, sharing this this interview with the world, and uh, hopefully you know, awakening a few people to, to, to what needs to be done and, and what conversations need to be primed so that there, there are involvement from Indigenous peoples. They are an important part of the economic, uh, you know, Framework of Canada and beyond, because I think that there's there's a sort of a global deficit of involvement of Indigenous peoples around the world. So uh, I'd like to say, uh, Caroline Hilton, thank you so much for your time. Everyone, go and check out Indigenomics, and uh, I'll put some links in in, in the description here. Caroline, thank you. Thank you.